Oh, I love God. And I'm glad He loves me, because, man, and even though He knows everything, He still loves me. It's kind of crazy. But I'm grateful. I really am. Amen. In your bulletin, you see that there's a, uh, an empty space for the title. My text is Psalm 90, verse 12, but the title is Making the Most of Our Time. Making the Most of Our Time. And our text is Psalm 90, 12, and I'll get to that in a minute. And a parallel text is also found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. You know, last Sunday was January 26th, correct? Just making sure. Is it, was it 26th? Yeah. All right. Last Sunday, January 26th, it was probably around 2.30 in the afternoon, and I, had, um, I was coming home from my boys' flag football game, and I thought I heard something on the radio, and then I got home, and it was confirmed, and I heard that Kobe Bryant, one of the best basketball players of all time, at least in my lifetime, and I, you know, I saw Larry Bird, and LeBron James is there. He's probably the best. Listen, you can argue, but he's one of the best that he had tragically died in a helicopter crash. And, and all I said when I sat down and I, and I had the TV was on and, and, and they confirmed it. And I just, and this is what I just exactly, I said, what? That's why I said, what? Like out loud. With this tone, I'm sure, and, and it really was because I had all these things in me. Of no way, it can't be. That's horrible. It's unimaginable. And it was all wrapped up with a certain sense. Well, actually, it was wrapped up with all this shock on some level, too. It's not because I idolize him. It's not because, you know, I think whatever, make more of him than he is. And he was human. He wasn't perfect. He had issues. He had struggles. He had as great an athlete as he was. All right? But the thing is, he's young. Relatively speaking, he's a dad of four girls. He's active in the community. He's got more marks, I'm thinking. He's got more marks to make in the community with this vibrancy to mentor kids and basketball players and coach and different things. And he had his business and all this stuff going on. He had, he had marks to make. And then I just got to thinking, which I don't do very often. I'm kidding. I think too much. Um, and it wasn't just about basketball. It wasn't just about basketball, and it wasn't just about all the facts about Kobe Bryant and how great he was and whatever, but I started thinking about life itself. My life. I really did. And that's why I'm saying what I'm saying today. Because as I processed, right, I came to realize that this tragedy wakes me up, should wake us up, and it challenges us to make the most of our time. Like, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not here to spill the, like, my guts and all that, but like, if I'm honest and I stop and think, I, I almost get convicted and I feel so guilty, if I could be honest, of all the wasted time. And no, I don't care. There's that song that came out in the 90s, early 2000s, you know, about you know, wasting time. But anyway, listen, that's, wow. What am I doing? Like, I mean, when you think about it and, and, and how, how life, just like this, and unfortunately for Kobe Bryant, was over on this earth. Why are you here? Why am I here? And no, it's not going to be a philosophy class this morning. But why are we here? What or for whom are you living? 
Life is short. Really, it really is short. And I know that it doesn't seem that way because even when certain days seem and they feel like they're going on for a thousand years, you know, the really crummy days where everything goes wrong and you feel horrible and everyone's giving you grief and they're criticizing you and whatever else, all when it just rains down, it, rain, it pours when it rains. But still, life on earth is so brief compared to eternity, to forever. King David said in Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. We talked about that in Sunday school today, this this scripture. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We live once. There are no do-overs for your life. Golf term, there are no mulligans. Man, I sliced that one terrible into the woods my entire life. No, you can't go back up and tee it up again. You don't get do-overs. See, but here's the thing. That's what drives athletes. That's what drives athletes. Like those participating in Super Bowl 54 tonight at 6.30 after the sermon ends at 6.20. Listen. At the start of the year, they prepared daily to play week after week to get to the championship. And it's all on the line tonight. They may never, listen, they may never get another chance to play in the Super Bowl again. In fact, most of those players will never play in the Super Bowl again. Tom Brady had no idea he'd play in all the ones he had to win six of them. He had no idea because every time he played, it was like the only chance he had and he played that way. Do we live our life that way? It's all on the line. They live for this. They, the, the football players, they live for this. Listen, there will not be at midnight tonight there will not be a redo of fourth and inches with the game on the line for the San Francisco 49ers who are going to lose. I'll keep, you, I'll, I'll keep you awake this morning. I'll keep you awake this morning. Listen, what or who do you live for? See, life is not cyclical. It's not cyclical. And you're not going to come back as a chocolate lab. And after that, you'll come back as a locust. And then you'll come back as a better human being. It, like some religions teach, that is not what the Bible teaches. It's not cyclical. Hebrews 9.27 teaches that we die one time. And then we face our creator, God, the ultimate authority. So the question is, how do we live our lives? See, Moses, who was the deliverer of the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, 
he knew a little bit about living life and about how fleeting time is. Think about it. They were in slavery for 400 years approximately. And then they're wandering, for 10% of that, they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And that seemed like an eternity. And it was only 40 years. It's a long time. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But he offers insight on how to gain confidence for that day when we face God. And Psalm 90 is the only one in the collection of 150 in the Bible that Moses wrote. He wrote Psalm 90. His experiences from the banks of the Nile River to Pharaoh's palace to the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground and now at the end of his life, potentially when this was written, wandering in the desert for 40 years, he surely understands how fragile and fleeting life really is. I can't imagine when people are groaning and whining, complaining, and they want to go back to the good life in Egypt, and they're complaining about having everything they need, and they're dying around him, and he saw the brevity of life, and that we don't live forever. And so he requests of God in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let me flip it around because it doesn't do an injustice to what the point is here. You could say, I'm going to paraphrase. I could say this and different translation might say it different. Let me just flip the whole sentence around. I want to be wise, God. So teach me to understand my life is short. I want to be wise. So teach me to know that my life is short. To live every day like it matters. And I'm adding. And, I, and but you're getting the picture. There are clearly two parts to this short one-sentence prayer. Teach us to number our days, God, please. Notice, Moses' request, he wants to be taught to number his days. Moses, he's a deliverer. He's had experience and he wants to be taught. He's learned in Pharaoh's courts. He's educated. You would think he's wise, but he wants to be taught to understand that He's not going to live forever on earth. In other words, he's asking God to give him an awareness that life on earth doesn't last forever and that he would live with that brevity in mind. Teach us. Do you remember hearing that, those two words somewhere else in the Bible? Teach us. In the Gospels, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Same thing. We think that we th- things just happen automatically, but we need to be taught and retaught and reminded. So, all right. My son Preston, he is a bottomless pit, as you already heard, right? He eats like crazy right now. He's exploding, right? I used to be the same way, and it was automatic that I would just look the same all the time. I'd maintain the same weight. I would have as much energy but it's not so automatic anymore I gotta say no and I gotta do certain things to like maintain and even then you know it's it's getting harder because that's just how it is okay you got you got to do something you got to get the manual going it's not just automatic everything's automatic we think it just happens it this is how it is lord teach me I don't want to live in automatic I want it to be manual where I'm intentional And then I'm taking account that today is a day you've given me. I want to take advantage and understand my life is short. Why does he ask this? Because we have a short-sighted perspective of what we even do today, don't we? 
well, how's it going to feel now? That's going to bring me discomfort. I won't do it. Well, tell, tell the football team before the Super Bowl back in July when they were sweating in 100 degrees weather for hours and they're doing all kinds of things and redoing things and getting yelled at and sweating and being tired and worn out. And then now they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's why. That's why. We don't think about how what we do affects eternity so often. Teach us to number our days. Show us, remind us. Why? So we can be wise. You know, wisdom, and and let me just give you a quick definition. Wisdom is knowledge that is rightly applied. And more specifically, I'm going to just say this to the Christian. Wisdom is knowledge of the truth that is rightly applied in your life. That's wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, Solomon instructs us, and he does so throughout the the Psalms, and especially early on. But he instructs us about wisdom and obtaining wisdom and how we get wisdom and, and how it comes from the fear of the Lord. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9.10. I want to be wise. I want to know all the facts, all the truths, and use them rightly for the greatest effect so that when I see God, I can say, I did wisely and maximized everything you gave me for your glory. Amen. So how are we to live our lives with wisdom? How do we do that? How, if God, how do we live our lives wisely? Because I would dare say, and no offense to you, most of us are fools with our time. I know I'm not offending you. I'm just, let's be honest. And what I mean by that is, we can make an assessment right now and we can realize, wow, that is not the way I should be spending my time, realizing how short my life is. You know what that is. I won't tell you what that is. Don't be offended by that. But we can be very foolish how we spend our time. Me too. And I got, I'm not going to spill, but I got plenty. So how do we live with wisdom? Let me just be very simple with three things, and they are not long, I promise you. Ask God. That's the first thing you do if you want to live wisely, knowing that your life is short. Ask God for wisdom. It's simple. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. So why would you ask somebody else? I mean, again, I'm talking about with eternity in mind and spiritual, where we're supposed to be as God's child. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. There it is. Go to the Lord. Have faith. Believe in Him. Fear Him. Not fear Him like you're afraid of Him on a healthy level, but you reverence Him. You respect Him. You realize and you acknowledge, well, I'm a human and God's not. God's not us. God is not like me. He knows everything. He's everywhere. He's, he's great. He's powerful. He's created. The whole, all His attributes, I am not there. And you know what? He gives wisdom. He offers that and He gives it. And from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. We have plenty to hear from His mouth right here. Not to mention in our times of prayer and the counsel of brothers and sisters and accountability and growing together. What about James 1.5? Let's keep it simple and just sum it up like this. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask the latest and greatest trending psychiatrist. No, he says you should ask God. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's not a place for that potential or other sources. But go to God. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding faults. He's not going to look at you and say, 
You want wisdom, but you've been a fool for the past 20 years. That's your fault. I'm not giving you wisdom. The word says he will not find reproach or fault with you. If you want wisdom and you genuinely want it and you ask him, he will give it to you. He's not going to give it generously as much as you need to live for him the way that he wants you to live. But when you ask, he says, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. God, I want wisdom from you. Then you walk away and you delve into every other source and God says, you want it from me? You want it from me? Not, again, I'm not saying there's not other sources. You can learn and get things and knowledge. But you're, you, you're asking me, but you're, then you run away and you do it. You're, no. Go to God first. And he gives you generously. Ask God for wisdom. And you'll understand and have clarity on how to live in this brief life that we have in the, in the proper way. So, so how do we live our lives with wisdom? Secondly, know your purpose. Just ask God for wisdom and then know your purpose, that it's God's glory. And I'm kind of flying through this, but it's God's glory. In other words, what's important? What is priority? Why are you here? It's for God's glory to serve him. He made you for him. There was a, an article, and this is a, this is a historical fact. This, this happened recently. Herbert Fingeret, or Fingeretti maybe is his name. I don't know. But he, he is an American philosopher who died recently. 97 years old, and he died, and he devoted his life, he taught in California, one of the colleges and whatever, and he wrote, and his big focus was, now check this out, his whole life, he's, he focused a lot about death and dying and the concerns about it and why we're all the stuff regarding all that with humanity and our concern and anxiousness about that and concern with that. And he just died, and, 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 and recently he said something that he was interviewed, and I quote him, he said, I walk around the house in his 90s. I walk around the house and I ask myself, what is the point of it all? There must be something I'm missing in this argument. Uh, Look, uh, how about not philosophy, but wisdom? How about the one who gives wisdom. How about God? How about your creator? How about the one who is, whether you believe it or not? He's there. It doesn't change the facts. Something's missing from the arguments as to why you can't understand people are anxious and concerned. And if I can just add, in the article, he didn't concern himself so much about this. He says it was all theoretical. But now that he was at the doorstep of death, now he was concerned. Hmm. That's very interesting too. But listen, what's the point of it all? The point of it all is God. The point of it all is God's glory. Your purpose, your, here it is. Jesus said often in his ministry that he came to do the will of God. That was his purpose. Of course, that involved living righteously by speaking the truth about the human sin condition, even including our own, and treating people with compassion and eventually dying on the cross as payment for the penalty of sin. That was his purpose. Colossians 1.15 and 16 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And Hebrews affirms and says that he is the exact representation of God. He is God who lived on this earth. And then Paul says, everything was created through him and for him. I'm not adding or taking, I'm just quoting Paul. 
Everything was created through him and for him. It's all about God. And when he's missing in the argument of your philosophy of why you're here, you're going to wonder for a long time. You were created by God for God. And when we examine all of Scripture, it becomes clear that Christians have a dual purpose. It's kind of this, one of the same, but it, it, two branches to it. And it's just simply this. It's to know Jesus and to make him known. That's why you exist. That's why you're a child of God. To know Jesus and to make him known. So know your purpose. And I remind you, your purpose is to glorify God. God made you for himself. Last one. How are we going to live our lives with wisdom? Well, first we ask God how to do that because he's the source of wisdom. We know our purpose. We recognize and he'll tell us, well, I made you. You're mine and you're for me and you're living for me and there's an eternity waiting for me. You're mine. So what's the last one? Very simple. Live one day at a time. That's it. Live one day at a time. Today. Notice that Moses says in his prayer, teach us to number our days. He doesn't say, Lord, teach us to number our weeks and our years. And oh yeah, I see 20 years down the line. I'm thinking about that. He didn't ask about that. He says, help me to number this day right now, these moments, these moments that I have right now, not weeks or years. And just because you know what your purpose is and you've asked God for wisdom in living it out for his glory doesn't mean you don't have to choose. I want to say that again. Because you can do the first two and you will still not live your life in wisdom understanding your life is brief. Just because you know what your purpose is and you've asked God for wisdom in living it out for His glory doesn't mean that you don't have to choose to do so. See, most of our choices, if we're truthful, in life can be summarized with this question. How am I going to spend my time today? Don't focus on the years ahead. And I'm not suggesting you shouldn't think about the future. That is not what I'm saying. But don't focus on the years ahead when you have, you have to spend, literally, we all, can, we all have 24 hours a day, each one of us. It's the only thing that we all have equal of that we all can spend is 60 minutes in a day, or 60, 60 minutes a day, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, equally, all of us. We can all spend it, and how are we going to do it? You know, the enemy's favorite word, I believe, one of his favorite words is tomorrow. Oh, I'll tell someone about Jesus tomorrow. I'll read the Bible tomorrow. I'll... Pray tomorrow. God knows my heart. I'll, you fill in the blank, tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And before you know it, that's your mantra. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Everything gets put off and you don't live right now wisely taking advantage because before you know it, you've said tomorrow, 38,000, whatever, whatever, how many days you live. You said it 38,000 times and you never did it. It's a warning for me. It's a reminder for you as well. Tomorrow is one of the enemy's favorite words. 
Matthew 6.34, Jesus said, I love that chapter, he talks about how he takes care of us, and he says in verse 34, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Amen. Each day, he said, each, this is Jesus, each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? This doesn't mean you shouldn't think about the future. I want to be clear again. Because it, really, it's all about perspective and attitude. Do you and I desire, this is my desire, we sang that, to honor you, right? Do you and I desire to glorify God and bring joy to Him through our obedience? Is that our desire? Spend your time then with eternity in mind. Unimportant things will take a back seat to eternal ones. But everything's important, Pastor Bob. My kids, my work, this, my health, my facial, my manicure, my gym time, this, all, whatever. Yeah, it's all important to you. What about God? What about eternity? It fires me up because I think about how much time I waste. I'm sorry. I'm, maybe I'm just being too. What are we doing with our time today? I had a professor when I was in Bible school, and I'm about to wrap up, but I was in, in Bible school, Dr. Bambara. <coughs> Great professor. He was a pastor in Lexington, Massachusetts, of a fairly large Italian church, and he, he, did, he had a lot of wisdom. That's all I'll say. And we had some discussions about this whole idea about living our life in the future, and like, you know, you know, when you can contrast it to people who are, you know, the asceticism, they give everything up and they feel like they earn it and they just throw it all away and they don't think about the future and whatever in a sense, you know, and they, they beat themselves and they don't plan, they don't think. He said, listen, you, as pastors, when you become pastors in the future, but also as Christians, he says, I'm just going to tell you something and I'm going to tell you in light of what we're talking about today. Live your life like Jesus is coming in 10 minutes. I'm going to say it again. Live your life like Jesus could come in 10 minutes. But plan your life like he won't be here in 100 years. And it's not a contradiction. It's important. It's wisdom. It's a wise statement. We live in such a way with that brevity in mind that we're constantly prioritizing things that are eternal. But we don't just throw away the things that are important here on earth either. And we plan. What if he doesn't come in 100 years? Okay, I'm not going to go nuts, but... I want to be prepared because the Bible instructs us that too. But eternity is a long time. Long, long time. Live like you'll be here in 10 minutes. What will you do in that 10 minutes? And if you're going to be ready for the future, when you face Jesus one day, there's four things that are necessary and wise. They're just four words. Don't worry, they're not big points. Four words. You need dedication. You need discipline. You need determination. And you need a goal. Well, I think those things have all been answered. Our dedication is simply our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're committed to him. We're his children now, right? And he makes sure we stay committed with his Holy Spirit and his word, the guidance and accountability. Our discipline, we're disciples. You got to do certain things to get where you want to go. It just doesn't happen automatically. I hate to say it, you got to work for it. You got to be determined. You don't give up. You persist. You keep going even when discipline stinks. And it's boring sometimes. And it's tiring. But you keep going. Why? Because you have a goal. And it's the glory of God. And eventually to come to him in eternity and say, man, I did everything. You know what that goal is? Can I sum up the goal in Matthew 25? To hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, man, that's the epitome. That's the epitome of this prayer being answered that says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can present to you a heart of wisdom. Well done, good faithful servant. 
you have been faithful. And then he, he gives them more. I mean, and they're going to have all eternity with him. So how do I close? I mentioned Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. So let me ask you a question. We hear this oftentimes, and how many of you believe in and have had experiences in divine appointments? Amen. How many of you believe in divine appointments? All right, four of you. No, I'm kidding. Twenty of you. All right. Divine appointments. All right, listen, I believe in them, and I don't mean to throw a grenade on your, your whole thing about divine appointments, but I'm going to just say something that I think is really critical, okay? And, and if you disagree, we can talk about it. But divine appointments are real. But, I'm just going to say this, but they are only effective when we make the most of them. It's your choice. Are you going to exercise wisdom being aware of the opportunities in the time you're in and where you are? Or are you going to just Carry on. I believe in divine appointments. God's constantly setting up divine appointments. And I believe, personally, and I don't think it's a contradiction, that we choose not to be a part of the appointment. See, there are three Greek words used in the New Testament to refer to time. Ora, H-O-R-A, ora, is usually translated hour. Then there's chrono or chrono, which we get our English chronological, English chronological, and it refers to time in general. It's a period or a measured amount of time, right? Measurement. But the word here that Paul uses in Ephesians five is not aura or chrono, but it's kairos, and kairos refers to an appointed time. It's a fixed or special occasion. Those moments or seasons when opportunity knocks. Divine appointment. Listen, when opportunity knocks, don't let those occasions pass you by. When opportunity knocks, can I go further? Kick open the door. If it's cracked, go, because you know it's God. Kick it open. I'm sorry to say it that way. If it's a crack, there's an opening, go. We're always like, oh, I want to wait till God swings it wide open. Okay, that might be fine. But if it's opening and it's open, go, go towards it. What if? What if, what if, like James says, if we take one step towards God, he takes another towards us. So we take a step toward the door, it opens more. Woo, whoever, whoever thought of that? God, maybe. So try it out. Try it out. Seize the opportunities that God has planned for you today and in the days to come because our life is so short. Lord, teach us to number our days. Let me ask you, have you skipped Have you missed? Have you dismissed or just intentionally ignored a divine appointment? Don't you recall, if you haven't, and when you have not skipped one or missed one, don't you recall the joy of having made the most or choosing, really, to be a part of God's plan at a divine appointment? Oh, my goodness, it's overwhelming. And you just just wish you could stay at that appointment for, like, eternity, (laughs) right? The joy that's there. 
you can have that. Ongoing. If we just heed and, and make Moses' prayer ours. And that we ask God for wisdom. We live one day at a time, right? And, and we don't try to forecast everything and dwell on the past and whatnot. And then it's all because we know our purpose and it's to glorify God. We live for Him. Today, ask God like Moses did. This simple thing, and this is our prayer, and we're dismissed. Lord, teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. Amen. Amen. That's our prayer. Keep it close to heart. Keep it at the forefront of your mind. Walk in the power of God. Seize the opportunities for His glory. Amen? Amen. Go. And go, go Chiefs!